Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will smart food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the offseason. That's right, the offseason. It's here. We get to watch the good teams, if you're so inclined, and do not have to watch the worst fucking team, the Philadelphia Flyers. We will get to watch them uh, in the draft lottery coming up soon, but, you know, we don't have to see them play hockey, and that's very good. Uh, but there are still plenty of things to talk about. Breakup day, uh, Ivan Provorov with his full diaper, all that stuff. So uh, let's get right into it. Let's lead it off with the fly by yourself, Kelly Hinkle. I'm going to be on an airplane when the draft lottery happens. I'm so stupid. Mm. When is the draft lottery? Something I should know. It's the 10th? It's the 10th. Yeah. And it usually happens in the evening, if I remember correctly, because they put it on the television. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a nighttime made-for-TV thing. Oh, actually, no. I think I get in at, like, 5, so maybe I won't be on an airplane. Is it 5 fake time? I think it's 5 uh, fake time, yeah, ocean time. Okay, so 4 o'clock our time. Okay, uh, wait, never mind. I'm glad we talked this out. It's fine. Okay, cool. Yeah. Actually, I had okay, no idea. Fine. In 2017, <laughs> I had no idea the draft lottery was happening. I was at a party, and then it happened, and I saw all you guys Ooh. texting about it. I was like, oh. That seems good. I was not the I first of my friends. friends to know we got the second overall pick. They're like, Bill, oh, do you know anything movies. about this? I was like, nope, I'm on vacation, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, that was that was uh, the highlight of my Flyers fandom, folks. Things are bad. Things are bad. They're looking up, though, because Chuck Fletcher's on the case. From TheAthletic.com, <laughs> Charlie O'Connor. Yeah, just a second what was just said. It is really, really nice for the season to be over. <laughs> I I really, really hope that people and I know I said this last year, but I really, really hope that people people could just like like disconnect from this team and stop being so fucking mad all the time. Like, please. Touch grass, friends. I've be nice. Like, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know if it's possible, but it would be nice. I don't understand how after like 
the season's been over since December. How can you still be mad? Like, oh, I find oh you would be surprised, my friend. I find things yeah. funny. I find the plan overall and the messaging coming out a little bit frustrating sometimes, but like mad, I don't have that in me till they stop start losing games again and like, you know, 10, 13 in a row. If we don't get there, what what's there even to be mad about? We had a 10 game losing streak and it wasn't the longest losing streak this year. I don't know how you can get fucking mad anymore. Uh, but yeah, um it'll be cool when when people calm down like Charlie, there are people, remember last week how I was saying something and you'd be like, you know, because you're 60% right, I don't want to argue the other 40, because why stick up for the Flyers? Yeah, pretty much. Like, you tweet a joke, and people suddenly are like, well, actually, motherfucker, have you ever read one of my tweets? Because never (laughs) one of them has been serious. Not a one. I talk about the commercials during the game more than I talk about the game. Like... What are we doing? Steph, what's going on over there? Sorry, I was... I'm, was I showing... Am I having just a boob day? Was I showing you my boob? I, I don't know what was going on. I was just... Sorry, I was like, I'm like, you weren't on the screen my, We're having a boob day, evidently. We're having a boob day. I was readjusting my setup so the microphone was actually in front of my face. And that required moving some screw, literally screwdrivers from behind my laptop. There you go. All right. No, Bill, to be, to be clear, people are so deranged right now that someone in my comment section on my article yesterday yelled at me for using the word hockey trade because it's a dumb concept. <laughs> like, it's, God, it's, actually, it's actually mind-boggling how irrationally angry people are right now. And Whatever these are people. You, it's oh not enough. These are people that pay to read your shit. You're not on. Like this isn't the Broad Street Hockey comment section where any <laughs> fucking Joe Schmo can just go in and write nonsense. Um, like I titled, I titled an article "Poor Mike Yo," and the article had nothing to do with it. But I had a dozen, <laughs> a dozen comments complaining about me saying "Poor Mike Yo," uh, and we'll get into him in a minute. Like people are paying to write these comments. Yeah. I don't think that <laughs> with some of these people, having to pay money to yell at other people is a bad thing. Like, I think that they're very into paying money just to talk down to people. And that's, you know, sad and sucks. And Charlie doesn't deserve that. But nah. here we are. It's just, it it honestly is just astonishing to me. It's truly astonishing to me, like, how, how angry people still are. You well, know the vibe big- that it gives? It's really giving, like... Uh, you, I pay your salary, government workers. You will do exactly what I demand of you. And if you don't, I will yell in your face. So they pay Charlie's salary. So he's going to have to hear their dumb shit because they paid $40 for one year's worth of service. And now they get to yell at Charlie. That's pretty much what it's it like. It's like oh, the uh, season ticket holder town hall. I yeah. was just going to say, it sounds like season ticket holders. Damn, yeah. I pay for a subscription. I need to start talking down to Charlie more. Join the club, buddy. <laughs> Last, but certainly I'm, not. I'm just going to be on there with my SB Nation NHL account. Be like, listen, Chuck. <laughs> Let- That's it. That's going to be the entire comment. Last, but certainly not least, Stephalicious D, Steph Driver. So just to kind of change, whew, change the vibe just a little bit. Um, Flyers hockey is over and the world literally sucks right now. Like women, people with uteruses are under attack actively right now in this country and that sucks 
a lot. Um, so I, I don't necessarily know what I want to say here other than if you live in the greater Philadelphia area, um, who is it in New Jersey? Phil Murphy, someone Murphy. Murphy, yeah. Murphy, uh, someone Murphy signed into New Jersey law that abortion is going to be legal in New Jersey. I haven't read into it and what the stipulations are, but like there are options in New Jersey, in the Philadelphia area, should you need them. Um, I am mad all the time. Um, so we're just going to be a little bit unhinged on this podcast and laugh about things that are really bad because that's where we are now. But I just like, I wanted to say out loud, I know this shit sucks. I know that it's really hard. I'm out here fighting. We're all out here fighting. Like, I don't think there's anyone in this podcast that is just like, oh yeah, that's cool. Let's take away rights from women. Like, I know that there's not. Um, but I just wanted to say out loud, like, I see you, it sucks, and let's use this hour to talk about something that is not the world being on fire. Yes, this is That's a it. good place to distract yourself. Right. So, like, things. I'm saying it out loud, I'm acknowledging that it's happening, and we're, we're just going to have some fun because we need to. Like, we need to. This season was miserable. This year is miserable. Let's talk about some, let's make fun of Mike Yo. Well, I want to start with a, a tweet of Charlie's from May 3rd. At around 9.30 p.m. (laughs) To this day, Charlie tweets, To this day, I will never understand how the Flyers were staring down Keandre Miller with with their second first-round pick in 2018 and were just like, nah, we're good. Charlie, I'd like... (laughs) He's pretty proud of that one. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. I'd like to take a swing at understanding it. Um, Nobody in this organization has ever known what they're doing and anything that good anything good that has happened in the last 30 years has been an accident that's feels that's right. that's you know like Claude Giroux great pick guess guess, guess who they didn't want him like yeah. you know they didn't they didn't know his name when they went up to the podium uh most of most of the good things that have happened to us in the last 30 years total accident no one has a fucking clue what they're doing let's get to Mike Yo. ah <sighs> As an aside, this is the thing that I actually wanted to talk about with my my opening take, which I'm sure we're actually going to discuss in a minute. But Samuel Moran, man, his NHL career is over. That's a bummer. That sucks. They're actually, I just got the email. He's going to have a presser at noon today. So that'll be excellent for right when we're done. Yeah, I'm probably going to miss that because there's no way we're going to finish this podcast in 45 minutes. Yeah, I'm going to miss it too because we're here. No, it's a bummer for Moran. I mean, we could finish. And that, sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's a real bummer for Moran. In the little bit we got to see him, it looked like he could maybe play at this level. I was hoping he'd be able to pick up his career, get a fresh start somewhere, but just doesn't look like it's in the cards for him. Uh, multiple knee injuries. He's had to rehab so many times. So many. He's gone under the knife a bunch, and it's just uh, yeah. sucks. Poor dude. Guy had some potential. It just sucks. We never got to see him beat the like, shit did- out of anybody. I didn't expect him to come back to the Flyers no, next season, no. but I, I expected to see him at least play hockey somewhere. So hearing Chuck Fletcher say, like, no, his career is over, like, it's just sad. The good news is that the Flyers are very, very good at keeping former players around, usually to their detriment, <laughs> like to the organization's detriment. But 
they do take care of their dudes. So I think this presser is probably talking about what Samuel wants to do with his future. That's kind of my guess. Head coach? Um, so we'll see. <laughs> what if they just made him the head coach? <laughs> Fucking do it. Everyone likes him. He's a nice guy. Do it. Yeah, what, is, what are they going to get? Worse? Uh, so I'm going to talk about- <laughs> Exactly. Can't get any worse. <laughs> I do want to talk about Mike Yo. They announced his, uh, his dismissal. Uh, I didn't really even think it- Like, people said they fired him. Not really. No, like, he was the really. interim. He was never- yeah. Like, I, we've been saying this whole time, like, a coach with those results, if he was the best coach in the league, if you have a sub 400 points percentage, yeah, you ain't going to keep the job. So, yeah. like, it's he was dealt a bad hand, and Chuck Fletcher recognized that. Like, when they fired Elaine Vigneault, they basically announced the season was over, and there was a lot of season left when that happened. Um, I just, uh, the thing that I took out of the, the announcement that Yo was gone was the quote from Fletcher. The first thing we are going to do is put together an ideal candidate profile. At this stage, all options are open. Now, I know that they've already started the process, but the idea that you said, well, we're gonna put together an ideal candidate profile, buddy, you fired your coach in December. Yeah, this, okay, so this is something... This is something that, like, honestly really ticked me off. I, you know, everything is really Uh-oh. ticking me off, mostly about the fan base, <laughs> so, like, it, it's it's not, like, like a fucking course they've been looking for a coach for a long time. Like, this is just what you say. Right. This is what you say so that you don't, it, it, it doesn't make it clear that, like, for the last two months you've been doing a coaching search where having Mike Dio coach the team. Like, have some fucking brains, but people. We, no, but that's the, we know all that. What's the point of preserving this charade? Like, why? Because you don't want to be a dick to Mike Yo and be like, hey, I know you were coaching a team, but we were looking for somebody behind your back. It's like, it's like... Is it a dick? Even... Like, he was the interim. Like, yeah, he was always like, the interim. It's just a shitty thing to he do. He was trying, though. Interim like, means was... you're not staying. But it means that you could. Was... I mean, I know. Thing, probably yeah, if, also, if like... If he doesn't have a 13-game losing streak, maybe... The only in thing, the real world where you have to apply for jobs, he probably applied for the job. Like he probably applied. The only thing like I he thought probably wanted to stay. I thought that they might do is they might do what they did with Scott Gordon, which was basically be like, "Hey, we're going to do a coaching search, but like Mike is staying in the mix as a possible option." The fact that they didn't do that, I mean, that was a little bit like, "Yeah, we pretty much know that you're not the guy." That said, I mean, they like Mike Yo. I think that there's a a. I don't even know if I would say over 50%, but probably somewhere in like the 30 to 50% likelihood range um, that he sticks around in some capacity. Because I know he still has a good relationship with Fletcher. They like him. I don't think they would have a problem with him sticking around as an assistant, but like it depends on what the new head coach wants. And Fletcher even talked about the idea of like moving him into the front office in some capacity. That said, you know, Yo might get offers from other teams to be an assistant on someone else's staff. And if he does and he doesn't get that same offer from the Flyers, then he might bail. And that's very possible. But, you know, I don't know. This, this was just yet another thing of people losing their minds over something that was meant to just be like a let's not make it clear that we were searching for someone new while we were still employing you, even though everyone knows we were. I feel but like that's people the, like... used to understand <laughs> that press conferences 
contained within them a lot of canned responses and bullshit. Like people used to understand that. Kelly, and for on some, some level, reason, on some level, people do understand it. The thing is, they're so fucking pissed off that it doesn't even matter. Oh no, well, I, it's not like I fully understand it, and I know what they're trying to say. I just don't see the point any. Like, why are you doing this? What does it preserve? What? Who benefits from? Oh yeah, well now we're gonna start looking. Like, why? Uh, that's the. It, it makes no sense to me. You're out of like. I'm so like. Oh yeah. Well, we like Mike Yo. I don't give a fuck. He stinks. It, well, yeah. You does it don't. Matter, but they though, do. Bill. Does it matter? What does it matter if they said we've been looking for six months or if they said we're going to start looking like does it matter? I mean, yes. personally, personally, I would love it if they if they started the coaching search, they actually started the coaching search this week, because that means they won't hire a coach until like the end of the month. And that gives me three weeks to totally disconnect from this team. <laughs> I think it does matter because they've done nothing to inspire confidence in years in anybody. And if you could just be like. We have a plan. Because that's everyone's biggest complaint, right? Like, the big picture is, I don't think this fucking team has any clue what's going on. Tell me you have a plan. Tell me. That's all. They did did say they have a plan. It's just that we all know that the plan is stupid and it's not going to work. They do have a plan. I mean, like, yeah. We just don't like it. It's dumb to think that they don't have a plan. They do have a plan. It's just a bad one. Yeah. I'm fine with a bad plan. I just took from, you know, the first thing we're going to do is, well, what? You didn't make any, like, groundbreaking trades. You haven't done anything to benefit the team whatsoever since, I don't know, 2020. Uh, what, what, what you doing up there? What's Comcast paying you for? I mean, last off season. Was good. Well, they got else. I mean, that it was didn't, a good move. Listen, it did not pan out in the season, but the off season, the couple of months of the off season, was good. So here's the thing: I've been thinking about this a lot because I too have said that he actually did a good job last summer. But like, at what yeah. point? I don't know if I would say good job. Okay, so here's the thing: that's what I'm saying. Like, at the what Ellis point do you look at good. this season? Okay. Was it, though? Because yeah. this season was a fucking disaster and Ryan no. Ellis didn't play any hockey games. So, like, was it good? Everything else well, he yes, did was Yes, because bad. we're going to get a top 10 pick and we're going to have Ryan Ellis next year. Uh, like, maybe. If, no, maybe. Theoretically. I don't think that's a guarantee. Yeah, I don't think it is no, either. No, it's definitely not. Like, it's not definitely even a little not, bit. Theoretically. I feel like it's 50-50 at this point. Like, I'm not super yeah. confident. And we're going to get more into Ellis. No, to, my, to, go back to, thing, like, to go back to that point, can I jump in, Bill? To go back to yeah. that point, I think looking back on the offseason that Fletcher had last summer, I think, and, and this is something that, like, I, I feel like I've addressed this in multiple columns of mine, but people either don't read them or just don't care. But last offseason in retrospect was basically like a mixed bag. Like, where there were some good things, some yeah. bad things, and obviously some of the good things just didn't work out. Like, the Ellis, the Ellis move was objectively a good move in my mind. It just didn't work. But, like, yeah. knowing what I knew going into that, because I don't think, like, some people have thrown out the conspiracy theory that Ellis was already hurt before he came to Philly. Like, that's just not true. Like, you can believe that if you want, because reasons but like that's not true he got hurt in the preseason this is a new injury i think that, they believed he was injury prone that, like th- that's a specific fair. In- 
Yeah, but yeah. a specific injury, I don't believe that to be Well, I mean, case. one of the conspiracy theories you hear is that, like, basically the Flyers didn't look at his medicals, and they didn't realize that this injury already existed, which is objectively false. But anyway, so, like, the Ellis trade, good move, didn't work out. The Agatha Vervoracek trade, that that's fine. Broussard signing, fine. Nate Thompson signing, dumb. Keith Yandel signing, retrospect, really dumb. Um, Ristolainen, really dumb. I mean, so basically what ended up happening last offseason was, like, you had some good moves and some bad moves. I don't think the bad moves, with maybe the exception of Yandel, but the thing with the—the Yandel thing is tough because, like, the Yandel move was bad, but, like, if the team—like, if everything else didn't go to shit, I think they would have rectified that quicker than they did. It was just, like, everything else went bad, so it just kind of became, like, why not just keep playing him because he's got the friggin' streak? Like, if they were—I yeah. think I think Kurtz made this point in um in our Slack channel that, like, I do think if the Flyers were really good in December, everything except for the third pair, because Keith Yanda was real bad, they would have benched him. And they would have yeah. taken the hit. The thing was, the team was bad, so it was like, you might as well just keep throwing him out there, I guess. Let this guy get the record. Point being is that I think the offseason for Fletcher was a mixed bag. And really, the reason why this season was so bad was a combination of, number one, they had a lot of injuries. But number two, the team that he had going into the offseason was a lot worse than people hoped. Like, that's yeah. the underlying issue here is that a lot of the players that not just us, but, like, most people in the NHL thought were good actually ended up being significantly worse than they were thought to be, which is why I've made the point that, like, I don't blame... I don't really act... Like, I don't think Fletcher, in a lot of ways, has actively fucked this up. I think a lot of this goes back to players that were drafted by Ron Hextall and ended up not being as good as Ron Hextall and, and the organization that he built believe they were. That said, my main criticism of Fletcher is that he he's kind of passively fucked up in the sense that he hasn't been able to anticipate this and address these problems before they pop up. He doesn't he hasn't shown the kind of foresight necessary to build a good team. That's my critique and of Fletcher. I I think the idea that like he's built a terrible team is is an incomplete and kind of like foolish way to look at it. It's more that he hasn't deconstructed the team that wasn't as good as it was anticipated to be enough to make it a good team. And so it's, yeah, like, it's not said... that I'm not critical of Fletcher. It's that like, I think his, his problem is more passive than active. That's been his. That's job. when you said, when you said he hasn't actively fucked it up, I was going to say, yeah, he's inactively fucked it up. Exactly. Exactly. Throughout, throughout his tenure here, like it doesn't even take, he hasn't had the foresight when things are going bad or things are going in what when things are going good fuck heading into the 2020 playoffs what did he add Nate Thompson and Derek Grant that offseason what did he add Eric Gustafson like he hasn't done enough to put a stamp on this team he's done what has he actually added core pieces Kevin Hayes Cam Atkinson and Ryan Ellis who and, didn't play and Ristolainen I guess yeah, and right oh, facts. Yeah, the guy who does play <laughs> fucking stinks. Like he's done so little to add to this group. It's just like, yeah, well, if Travis Konechny's a first line player, you know, we have a first line. Well, he's fucking not. So maybe figure out. And it's not just that. Like depth pieces that you add. Yeah, everyone needs depth pieces. They have to be better than Nate Thompson and Derek fucking Grant. When you lose Ryan Hartman, when you lose. Uh, Tyler Pitlick, that's the name I was looking for, and don't replace, like, 
oh, you know who's a nice third liner for us? Like, yeah, of course there's no depth. Because you haven't added any. We already know that these guys on the Phantoms aren't that good. We've been watching them for years. That's why you had to, like, just unload Bundenman and fucking Ruby in a in a trade that you were selling. And you had to sell more pieces to get something back for them. Like, it just... His inability to ever actually help the situation is the critique I have of him. Like, we're going into the playoffs. We added nothing. Oh, thanks. Well, we're as good as we thought we were. All right. We're all right. That's it. You called him Ruby and not the germ. I was yelling. <laughs> he was on a roll and he went with the better nickname. I like Ruby, too, I because I, I, wanted, I wanted Ruby Soho to be the thing... Like, every time he scored a goal, but, like, he's never going to fucking score an NHL goal, so that's not no. anything to worry about. Uh, but, uh, like... No, I mean, I agree with you. I, I don't disagree with you, I think, is, is the bigger point. Like, yeah, the team sucks. And that's, like, he just... We talked last week about Hextall and how his his rebuild, retool, whatever it was, was a middling measure. Like, Chuck Fletcher has to do more than just middling measures, and so far he has not. Like, his most successful trade was moving out Jake Voracek, who is still very good. They just needed somebody who shoots the puck, and they got a guy who puts up fewer points, but will shoot the puck and is pretty good in his role. Good penalty killer, can score you 25 goals, but, like, I, I, what has he done to actually put a stamp on this team? Ristolainen. No, I mean, mm, what yeah. it boils down to, and this really, again, this is part the reason why I'm, like, well, I believe I am critical of Chuck Fletcher, I'm not, like, I don't look at it as, like, he's the Antichrist and deserves to be, like, thrown off the friggin' Ben Franklin Bridge. Like, a lot of his plan was based around the idea, the assumption, I guess that's a better word, that Ron Hextall's guys yeah. were good. And... I think that was a reasonable assumption. It's just been proven wrong. Yeah. No, if TK and Provorov were top-line players, his plan probably works a lot better. Yeah. Since they're not, it's like, all right, well, we built a team of middle sixes and you know, bottom four D-men, so what are we going to get? This. Exactly. This is This is what happens. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Um, about Ryan Ellis... What the, like, he's still not telling you what the injury is, which I'm fine with, but it, it, I guess he says he knows what it is, so that should well, give us confidence. Well, so, okay, I mean, to be clear, he revealed pretty much what the injury is, and I think it's fairly obvious why he didn't reveal specifics. He said it's a multi-layered issue in his pelvis. Pelvis, yeah, I'm yes. probably Dick not. Fell off. I'm probably not going to reveal the multi-lead specifics of the multi-layered issue in my pelvis. They told us about Mark Strike. Well, Dick that was really off. bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't need specifics, but I do need like more of a timeline. I don't know. Just like I hope well, so, to be ready for camp. I well, just. I mean, there's the, still the not message, enough information here. But there. But the thing is, there's not enough. This is another thing. I, I really didn't want this show to be, like, me yelling about the fans, but, like, it's going to be me yelling about the fans well, because it's just it's just what I've been dealing with. I mean, for that's the past, your life It's right just now. what I've been dealing with for the past 
three months. Like, people are really angry that there's no in, no specific information on Ryan Ellis, and they're mad at the media because we haven't been able to dig up specific information on Ryan Ellis. The reason why we haven't is because the they don't have specific information about Ryan Ellis. Like, that is why fans don't have info. Because Ryan Ellis and the Flyers and everyone around that situation also doesn't have specific info. Like, here's here's kind of where the Flyers are at right now. Ryan Ellis was a surprise, made a surprise appearance as the last person at exit interviews. And there were some legitimately really good things that came out of that. Number one, he actually talked to the media. Number two, he made it clear that even if there were at some point, and I do suspect there probably were, just based on some things I heard, even if at some at some points during this process there was disagreement <laughs> between Ellis's camp and the Flyers in terms of what they should do about this injury, that no longer is a thing. Ellis went up there and basically swore up and down that he and the Flyers are on the same page with this injury, they're on the same page with this treatment plan, and then number two, Ellis made very clear on multiple occasions that he doesn't not want to be in Philadelphia, that he wants to be a Flyer, he wants to come back next year, he wants to get right, he wants to make this work. And those are two important things, because those are two rumors that have been flying around, and at the very least, even if at some point during this process, Ellis was in the headspace where he didn't trust the Flyers medical staff and he didn't wasn't sure if he wanted to be in Philly, he cares enough about the perception that that came out in the public to basically quash that publicly. And that's important. That's important. That's a big step towards fixing this. So that's good. Now, the stuff here that is still nebulous is just the recovery in general because they do have a treatment plan. It's not going to involve surgery, and it seems like both sides are as confident as they've been in a while that they have the right treatment plan and they can fix this. That said, mo- more confident than they've been in a while does not mean super confident. They're, like, it's not the same thing. And the reason why I say this is because I kind of pushed Fletcher on this at his press conference. Basically, my question essentially was, are you going into the offseason and you making your offseason plans, you know, your roster plans and whatever, assuming that you will have Ryan Ellis for game one of next season? Like, are you are you writing him into the first pair right-handed defenseman spot in ink and saying, we're going to get Ellis back, so we don't need to address the defense that much because we're going to get him back, we're going to get Cam York done. And basically what Fletcher's response was, and it was a very telling response in my opinion, was, well, the way this treatment plan goes, we're going to know a lot more about how well it's working in about four, six, eight weeks, which lines up perfectly with when the active part of the offseason starts anyway, so we'll have a better idea then as to whether we can depend on Ellis. That tells me that while they think this is a good treatment plan, they don't know for sure if it's going to work. And if it doesn't, there's a chance Ryan Ellis might not play hockey again. Like, So they're in a position now where they're optimistic, more optimistic than they've been in a while, but they're not so optimistic that they're certain they're going to have Ryan Ellis back next year because if they were, they would have said, yes, Ryan Ellis is going to be in our top pair next year. We don't need to go out and get another Ivan Provorov pairing person. We don't need to even think about that because we know we're going to have Ryan Ellis back. They don't know. And that's why the media has not reported specifics about timelines. That's why the media hasn't reported specifics about the nature of the injury and the decision because the people that are involved don't know specifics. 
right. Chuck Fletcher doesn't even know if he's going to have to, in early July, go chase after another first-pair right-handed shot defenseman. He doesn't know. No one knows. This is still very nebulous. That's why specifics haven't been reported. It's not because the media is failing at their jobs. It's because no one in the situation knows the specifics of what's going on still, even though it's improved and they know more than they did a couple months ago. End rant. And that is what I was getting to, Charlie, is... It has nothing to do with the media. I know you're taking a lot very personally right now because of the season (laughs) you just went through. But what I'm getting at is there's no information because no one seems to actually know. Yes. And because of that, because of that, like I said earlier with the, you know, what are you doing? What do you mean you're putting together a candidate profile now? That means there isn't a set plan yet. They need a top pair defenseman in my mind, whether Ellis can play or not. Because Provorov is not that guy. He just isn't. If Because guess what's going to happen this year? Ryan Ellis is going to miss time. Which means however many games he's out, you have no top pair. Because Provorov's not a quote-unquote top pair guy without another top pair guy next to him. So mm-hmm. we can't live without a top pair for the 25 games Ellis is bound to miss again. If he's back. fully recovered... If he's fully recovered from this thing, which and goes something back to why the rest of the line and acquisition and re-signing was so dumb, because he can't be well, a top pair guy either, and now you're was, paying him over five million dollars a year to never be a top pair guy. It was fucking awful. It, it just that's what bothers me is that all right, we still don't know, and it, it's not anyone's fault because it's an injury that they had to take all this time just to figure out what the fuck it was, and they did good, cool, but that means there's no plan. And we're going to have to figure it out whenever Ellis tells us he feels good or doesn't. What if he feels good until September? And then it's like, oh, yeah, I really ramped up my training for camp. And now, like, all right, well, uh, off season's over. Everyone's yeah. signed. No, we, it's, it's, we a, know, it's a completely viable concern. We know Fletcher's incapable of making in-season trades because uh, <laughs> look around. Like, it, it just... It's just, you use the word nebulous, and that's exactly what this is. It doesn't give me any confidence that this aggressive retool is going to work. And after the break, we're going to get into the clarification of quote-unquote aggressive retools. So uh, hang out. We'll be back on the other side. I'm pretty sure we're about uh, around where we need to take a break. So we're going to do it right here. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, fam, we are back, and guess what? So is 2019-20. If you like that offseason, <laughs> get ready to do it all again. You know how it's like 2020, it's still kind of March of 2020. The yeah, Flyers think the Flyers think so too, baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I literally put that in my column. Like I, I put that in my column that, you know, I, I am empathetic towards Chuck Fletcher's, like, desire to just turn the clock back three years to when things weren't this bad like because i mean big friggin' mood unfortunately none of us could do that yeah uh unfortunately we have all the evidence of the last few years that tells us why this won't work uh but you know 
An aggressive retool, as as Fletcher clarified, basically doing that 2019 offseason again. I believe the 2019 offseason was objectively good, at least for the short, short term. Um, you know, they got a lot of miles out of Justin Braun. Matt Niskanen really helped Provorov that year. And, of course, Kevin Hayes, uh, when he finally came back from the, from the infection this season, looked like he was going to maybe be that guy we had the first year of Kevin Hayes. So... It's possible. It's, I think it lowers the bar a little bit. Like, none of those guys are what I would call high end talent. Like, yep. Kevin Hayes is a second line center at best. At best. Mm-hmm. Matt Niskanen, yeah, I guess we played him on the first pair, but it's like, if we add the Matt Niskanen equivalent this offseason, are we like, yeah, now it's time to roll? Justin Braun <laughs> is what he is. Uh, I like him a lot, but, you know, he's a good third pair defenseman. Um, do you think it's possible? I don't even know what my question is here. What, what, what do you think <laughs> my this plan probably is? probably no. Like, what even is this plan if it's just, like, add more second liners? Well, I think... I... Go, ahead, Steph. Go, Charlie. Okay, Steph, I'll go. go. No, I wasn't answering the question. I was changing the Oh, subject. okay. I was going to answer the question. So I guess that means I get to answer the question. Charlie wins. <laughs> yep. Um. Okay. I think to me the the most interesting part about this, I would call it a a reframing of this whole aggressive retool concept, is that it it did seem to me that Fletcher, because it, this all stems back to the press conference that Fletcher and Dave Scott had in late late January. When basically Fletcher said we're going to aggressively retool. Dave Scott said we don't think this is going to take that long to fix. You know, we're not looking five years down the line. We want to turn this around quickly. And that seemed out of touch and unrealistic then. After watching three more months of objectively horrid hockey, it seemed completely delusional. And I will say that I got the sense that Fletcher was walking it back a bit. You know, by comparing it to 2019, like, this isn't, you know, he's not saying that, like, we're going to, you know, make all these insane moves and completely restructure the thing and, you know, add three huge contracts because that's what the Flyers do, even though it'll make the rebuild, if it's necessary, have to happen, you know, not be able to be completed for seven years rather than three or four. So I I did, I did appreciate that Fletcher walked back the extent of what this aggressive retool. Now it sounds more like a retool, not an aggressive retool. Um, I think they kind of, on some level, I think the Flyers brain trust realized they may have kind of overstepped with that messaging back in January. And (laughs) it did strike me that Fletcher was kind of, comparing it to 2019 especially, was kind of trying to be like, you know, we we get it that we probably can't fix this in one offseason. Like, that's just not realistic we're not going to redo 2007 and get to the eastern conference final next year because literally everything breaks our way it's just not likely so i like that my concern is that like i still don't know how this plan's gonna work either yes i was gonna say like if if you're acknowledging that next year players right if you're acknowledging (laughs) that we're not going to compete next year like you said in january because that's nearly impossible and requires a shit ton of luck, then why don't you just rebuild the team? Well, I think there, there I feel is, like a good I feel time. like a good it's general time. manager could do that in two to three seasons. There is an element of that where like 
they are hamstrung with how much they can actually rebuild because like you can't trade Gatori, you can't trade Ellis, you can't really trade Hayes unless like everything breaks your way. So there is an element of like, you know, we say we want them to rebuild, but what do we mean? Like they can't fully rebuild. To me, like the the way you rebuild in that sense for next year is more or less you just don't do much this summer. Like right. like maybe you maybe you make like a hockey trade and like you trade out like Ivan. Whoa, Provorov. whoa, whoa, hockey trade. Those yeah, aren't can't, real. Can't How say dare that. you? <laughs> but like and you trade out like dare you trade out like an Ivan Provorov and try to get back like a younger forward who has upside, like that's your move. But other other than that, you just roll with this team. You know, you you let a lot of young guys play and if you're if you're surprisingly good, great. If you're bad, almost even better because you know it's no, a real good draft coming. Definitely even up. better. Like I that's don't. That's the thing. Th- like if you if you're acknowledging that you can't make this a cup team, which we all know that you can't, and Chuck knows you can't either. Yeah. Knowing what is coming in the draft next season, it seems insane to even try to put together a competitive roster because. What is the point? Like, there is literally no point to making the playoffs and losing in the first round. There's no point to it. And it's so just if like you been know, there. Well, I think right. If so- you know that you can't, you can't do an aggressive retool. You can't turn this around in one season. If next year was just like a normal draft year, whatever. But we know, like everybody knows what's coming in that draft. Why wouldn't you say, okay, you know what? We can't do it next year anyway. Let's not even fuck around. We'll just see what happens. We're probably going to be terrible. That's great. Maybe we'll get a Connor McDavid. Like, that's that seems like the smart play. And I don't know if they realize that the fan base would prefer that. Like, that's the thing that I don't know if they understand. I, the fan base as in the majority of people who realize what's going on with the organization, yes. The people they depend on for revenue. Yeah. See, I don't know. I wonder. I, I, I because agree here's that. the thing: like, weren't Rangers season ticket holders overall pleased when they put out that letter where they the were like people Listen. on social media? And in all honesty, no. I actually think that's kind of been retconned a little bit. I don't remember no. that getting like universally positive responses in the moment. I don't either. I remember. I remember laughing a lot because people were very upset. Yeah. Like it's been Maybe retconned. retconned it's been retconned thing, yeah. to be positive because it worked, even it though it worked, really right. didn't, because they didn't really didn't. rebuild. They didn't have to do it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what happened when Panarin have and to. Fo- <laughs> when Panarin and fucking Fox want to play for you, and you get the best goalie in the league. Well, yeah, you don't really have to rebuild. Uh, you, like win the draft lottery <laughs> twice. Like it was a whole. And neither of those guys are any good. No, but, but I'm but, just saying, which like, is hilarious. I do kind of because here's the thing, like the. They have to know they're not selling season tickets next year. Oh, like oh, I they know, know they know personally. Two we were just talking about it before. Yeah, that's the thing. Like the you, podcast. you already know people aren't buying the season tickets, so you're going to depend on what, like them deciding in December that they want to go to games again. Like I don't know what you think is going to happen here. You're only going to get that money back when they're fully good. And people know going in that they're good. That's being mediocre again is not going to bring back. What, no. Like, even if it's, oh, yeah, we sold a bunch of Goudreau jerseys. Like, yeah, you'll 
you'll sell more tickets that way, but until they make a playoff run, the fan base at large will not come back. Yes, Stephanie, I see you raising your hand. So there's something about the season tickets and season ticket holders that we actually should address because this is something that's been going on for the past decade at least. And the Flyers are very aware of this, but they don't know how to fix it. People and from the, 70s the way are that, dying. yeah, well, that's exactly it. All of their season ticket holders are Old. in the no older age bracket. Yeah, right. So their season ticket holders are dying out, which is like the worst possible way that I could have phrased that. Yeah. But that's where we are. Nobody over fifty listens um, to our show. I'm not worried about it. Who the fuck in their like 20s has like 12 grand to drop on <laughs> hockey tickets every year? Right. Like, so this, I mean, this nobody. has been a trend. The, <laughs> the Flyers are very aware that this has been a trend for at least a decade, probably much longer than that. Like they know we're not selling season tickets to younger fans and the people who we do have as season ticket holders are dying like they're they're not renewing because they're no longer living well, and they're also not renewing uh, because they're they're dissatisfied with the team i mean that's part of it too. yes there's also that yes. there is definitely that but what i'm talking to is that they're not attracting younger season ticket holders and that is one of the biggest business problems for the philadelphia flyers like that right there which if we bring it all back is why gritty exists mm-hmm which is why they're trying to focus on their in-arena presentations, because these are things that are important to, or at least more fun, and draw in a younger crowd. Now, they're fucking awful, so there's absolutely no way that they're going to sell season tickets to the younger crowd anytime soon. But, like, they know. They know that this is a problem, And and, and we, like... It's it's kind of interesting just to keep an eye on it because they are trying to attract younger season ticket holders, which is why all of our phones are getting blown up. But we talk like, about, like, we've talked about several times, like, me, Charlie, and Kelly have been avid Flyers followers for, like, 30-plus years. Um, well, anyone younger than you, us? But, but close. Anyone <laughs> younger than us? Have no memory. Like, if I were to buy Flyers season tickets, like, if if I was in a position where I was like, you know, this wasn't my everyday job anymore and I just wanted, I had the money to be like, yeah, let me get Flyers season tickets. Cool. It would be because I love the Flyers and maybe, you know, I'll get to have those memories again one day. Uh, Anyone younger than me has no reason to believe that those, like, they don't remember any of the good times. Yeah. No, like it's like the kids that don't remember 2011. Yeah. 2007. Exactly. No, it's exactly yeah. that. Like, yeah, like, I, I want to go because maybe I'll see the next uh, fucking, you know, primo wraparound. And, like, yeah, that doesn't exist to anyone younger than us. So, like, they have a sustained playoff run is the only thing that's going to bring back or create new fans or bring back the casuals, uh, people yeah. that have fallen off, however you want to categorize them. There's and, no and I way think, to do it other than a sustained playoff run. And and I think in, in some sense they definitely get that. Like this goes back to like what Kelly was saying about ten minutes ago about like what's the point of doing anything if you're just gonna be bad. And I do think there there I, I will I will counter that with this. I and this is 
the basis of a lot of the column I wrote today, um, the final column I'm writing before I'm taking a little break, um, where basically, to me, the biggest problem with this team is that they don't have high intel. They don't. Mm -hmm. And they need to figure out ways to get it. But, like, getting high-end talent doesn't have to just be, well, let's suck for a while and bottom out. Like, that's part of it. That's certainly one way to get high-end talent. But there's other ways to do it. I mean, you can, like, for example, and I'm not, like, I'm not saying that, like, this is the kind of guy who I would say qualifies truly as high-end talent, but, like, these are the types of traits. Like, for example, Pavel Buchnevich was available last summer because the Rangers just decided that he wasn't good and they were dumb. And he got traded. Like, those are the kind of guys where if you're Chuck Fletcher in my mind, like, take some swings trade-wise. If you're going to make yeah. trades, if you're going to retool this summer, trade for those kind of guys. Like, somebody like Kevin Fiala, who is really talented, and Minnesota can't afford him anymore because they got to pay the buyouts for Suter and Parisi. Like, He's a guy who I would be interested in trading for. Now, I don't know if they have the assets to trade for him, but like that would improve the team and maybe make it tougher to get the first over it. But it has the benefit. It does have the benefit of taking a swing on a guy who might be a high-end talent, who probably is a high-end talent. Like the, their entire plan this summer and next summer and the following summer has to all be centered around getting high-end players because they don't have them. And part of that is drafting high, but part of that is making trades. Like, that's why, and I, I hate that I always bring it back to this, but that's why the Rass's wrist aligning thing is so insane. Because yeah. he's so obviously not a high-end talent. Even if you like him, he's not a yeah. high-end talent. Right so here. what are we actually doing here, trading for and re-signing players who aren't high-end talents and wasting cap space on it when the only thing this team really needs from a personnel sp personnel standpoint is high-end talent. That should be what every single move is centered around, getting high-end talent. How funny. Is it funnier just Fletcher making a trade with Minnesota? Like, that would be funny. But making a trade with Minnesota because they have to pay the suitor in Parisi buyouts. <laughs> That that's some good shit. That's that some real fucking shit. chef's kiss. That's some real good shit. Um, like I, that is the long con, <laughs> my friends. But what I'm saying is, this organization, and this isn't just a Fletcher thing. This is a Hextall thing too. For too yeah. long, has been scared to take big swings. Take some big swings, and I'm not just talking about the draft. I'm talking about take some swings on some guys in trades that might be able to, you know, the next time a Mackenzie Weger is available via trade, maybe do that. Like, you have to be creative, and that's yes, what worries be creative. me, because Chuck, Chuck doesn't strike me as a, you know, big swinger. There's Chuck a does a lot of bunts. There's a distinct lack of creativity that's been absent in this organization for a really long time at the front office level. And there's not really a lot in his history. That would suggest that he would do it now is what worries like, me. I, just thinking of last week, we used the example of teams that, you know, um, maybe didn't have all top five picks. And Charlie brought up Carolina. You know, they get Sebastian Ajo in the second round. And we brought up the Dougie Hamilton trade. A trade like that that worked for both sides very well. Like, tell me Provorov and one of our 20 second line wingers second, third line wingers couldn't net us some sort of return like 
like Calgary and Carolina in that trade. Like, yeah. tell yeah. me that that's not possible. Mm-hmm. A trade exactly. like that that worked for both sides. No, I wouldn't say anyone necessarily won or lost that trade. Like, look at Calgary. They lost Dougie Hamilton, and they're the fucking one of the two best teams in the West. Uh, like, yeah. Look at Carolina. They're crushing the Boston Bruins, like beating them into dust. Like, so and good. they don't have yeah. Dougie anymore either. <laughs> and and, and awesome. some people. Speaking of, so, some people can I, can I do one Kevin more? Hayes. Can I do one more thing before we yeah, jump yeah, into yeah, Kevin yes. Hayes? Because I want to make this point. Some people might listen to me saying this, and they're going to be like, "Well, why?" Why are you just jumping on this bandwagon now about needing high-end talent? Why haven't you been screaming about this for the last two, three, four years? Which, that's Ugh. true. But to explain why, the reason was, is that I thought they yeah. had the high-end talent in guys like Provorov and Konechny and Hart. Yeah. And for a while, it looked like those guys were on their trajectory of draft and develop to get to that point. I mean... Three seasons ago, Travis Konecki was almost a point-per-game guy. Three seasons ago, Carter Hart outdueled Carey Price and finished with over a 920 save percentage in the playoffs. And Ivan Provorov with Matt Niskanen looked like a legitimate number one defenseman at the age of, like, 23. And if you had those guys, and those guys kept on the upward trajectory, you didn't need to take the big swings and blow up your farm system and do all that stuff and take risks to get the high-end talent because they were already there. Well, unfortunately it doesn't look like they're going to get there. Like, the only guy who I haven't given up on getting there is Hart. But I'll be honest, like, I'm yeah. less confident he's going to get there after the last two years. Like, I think he still could, but I don't think it's like, like, three years ago, I was like, this dude, I think, is going to be a top five goalie in the NHL. Now I'm like, he's going to be a good goalie. Do I think he's, he's going to be an one. elite goalie? Maybe, yeah. but I'm, not, I'm in no way certain about that. So now you have to pivot. Now you have to pivot team, because now you, the guys you drafted are not necessarily going to get there. You can't expect they're going to get there, so you got to find other ways to get them. And teams win with what we're saying we think Hart could be all the time. Oh, absolutely. Like it's very absolutely. like like you know Dominic Hasek didn't win one. Lots of other guys did. Like so, uh, I mean he did in Detroit, Lundquist but I mean didn't. in Buffalo. Um, uh, like you, you can win with what we're saying hard is, but they absolutely need that. One thing about trading Kevin Hayes, just because I thought of it, uh, Charlie was talking about it. I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's gonna happen. Uh, tell me the Boston Bruins couldn't use Kevin Hayes though. Just sure saying. Could. Just saying. Uh, what's up, Kelly? I was just gonna say, like, mm, if you no longer think Carter Hart is an elite goaltender. Does that remove him from your untouchable list, given how many goaltenders the Flyers have in the pipeline? Yeah, but none of the goaltenders I in the pipeline to, reject. I, I, like, I, I don't want people to overrate the goalies they have in the pipeline. They're not that good. Yeah. Fair. I have to, I have to see Fedotov come over uh, and play in the NHL and do it at a high level. Um, because like, that's one place you could absolutely get a high-end top-line forward. Uh, I don't think willing. so. I don't I think so. I would not give Edmonton Carter Hart away ago. for, like, anything. You don't think Edmonton, who is They're not trading Dreisaitl for him, if that's what yeah, you're dreaming Yeah, but who are they giving you? Yeah, they're they don't have anybody that, that moves the needle for the Flyers. Hmm. Like, what are you going to get? Ryan Nugent Hopkins I would, for him? Like, I, I, don't, would I wouldn't want to do that. I appreciate deal. a Leon Dreisaitl. I would. My point is that three years ago, maybe... Carter Hart, maybe they wouldn't hang up the phone if you're like, hey, you guys need a goalie. Would you be willing to trade one of your superstars for Carter Hart because he's young and he's looking like a superstar? Then I don't know if they would have done it, but they would have at least like had a conversation and maybe they I mean, it's work. not. That's not happening not the, anymore. 
is not the smartest front office. And if they go out in the first round again, the Flyers aren't the smartest front office. Yeah, fair. I know, fair. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I feel like you could, you know, if you were Joe Sackick, you would probably make that phone call is what I'm saying. If the Oilers go out in the first round again. I just. Because of goaltending. Even though. How long until Connor McDavid requests a, a trade? No. How long? He's no. not going to because he's the he's he's a Sidney Crosby. Like he's not yeah. he's never going to. Yeah, he's making he's the good Crosby one good hockey. I know but he's, David. I'm saying like he's like the the good hockey robot boy. Like he's never going to. I don't know. I give it another like three four three years. I, I I think that that's if they don't win a cup in the next three years, which it's Edmonton, they're not going. Uh, I I no. think that we could be looking at a Connor McDavid no. dramatic off season. It, what would like. I mean, Gretzky got traded, so anything's possible. Exactly. But that was like yeah. that was to make a team work in Southern California more so than you know anything else. Um, oh my god! It's just he's that we go don't. Arizona. That would be we so got, funny. Uh, like, if you're gonna trade for high end talent, like, there's only so many ways that can go. No, I think Flyers. it's definitely worth a discussion. I just believe the level of player that they need back. No one is willing to part with that guy for what Carter Hart is right now. Exactly. And then guess what happens? We are then looking for another goalie. That's my point. Like, I, I just think like exactly. it doesn't all matter. I think it's a great question. And like 70 point dry cycle from a few years ago. Yeah, 100% they pulled the trigger on that Edmonton. But now 120 point dry cycle, that ain't happening. And like, wh- what are we going to get? Nugent Hopkins or Darnell Nurse? Like, how does that make the Flyers any better? I don't think it you know does. that's not it doesn't no yeah that I, yeah it would have to be dry cycle yeah. like that's the only piece that I want from Edmonton and they're I, I mean, was just curious because I no. think that Carter Hart was on everyone's untouchable list forever yeah. and if you are if you acknowledge that he's only going to be like you know a little bit above average goaltender is he still untouchable I don't think Carter Hart is untouchable. yeah no, I, don't. I think it's, it's a great just, question yeah. but no, it's just it's just okay, hard. I'm gonna go. My my <laughs> response is it today. took it took the Flyers so fucking long to find a goaltender that is just a little bit above average. Yeah. Let's let I I you're gonna have to pry him from my cold dead hands. No. Fair enough. I just don't like see. I'm I'm not doing this again. I just don't I, we're gonna have to within our <laughs> lifetimes, but right now I'm not doing this again. Is that what you were going to say? No, it's just every time I think you're done, you keep talking, and then we talk over each other. <laughs> what you should know about me by now, Charles, is that I'm never done talking. <laughs> Clearly. You know, you started the show with the whole not wanting to take rights away from women thing, and in <laughs> principle, I agree, but... I'm usually pretty good at, like, predicting when people are done talking, but for whatever reason, I cannot predict when Steph's done talking, because she takes a pause, and I'm like, oh, you're done, and then you jump right back in. I'm sorry, that's the the cadence in which I speak. Go ahead, Chuck, I'm done. No, the point I was going to say is that I don't think Carter Hart is untouchable. I truly don't. But it's just hard for me to imagine a trade scenario popping up that makes sense for the Flyers because I don't think Carter Hart's trade value is that high anymore. And the value he has to the Flyers outweighs the value he would have on the trade market. Fair enough. I think that's the best way to put it. That would like I okay, Steph. Go ahead. Oh boy. No, I know. I'm doing it again. I <laughs> this is this is a me problem for everybody listening. I deserve the negative comments on iTunes. Like it's a me problem. 
I want to talk about getting rid of Ivan Provorov. Like that, I want to talk about packaging him up and sending him out. I was ready to do it last season. You know, he had the piss baby comments in his exit interview, which, fine. You had, like, I, I get both sides. Like, yeah, you had a rough season and you've gotten a lot of criticism. Like, I get being pissed off. But also, don't be a piss baby because your performance is only up to you. Yeah, like, maybe that's don't suck if you don't want the media. Maybe don't suck. To tell you that so you suck. So I, I, I think that he is still widely perceived in the league as a, as a good top pairing defenseman, which, like, he is. Is he? He is. He's just not a number one. Um, and I think I, I just don't want the Ivan Provorov experiment in Philadelphia anymore. So I, I think that he could... He could get back a really good return, especially if you package him with somebody else. Um, I, I've been kind of laughing to myself about the idea of a one-for-one one with Columbus again, like Zach Wierenski for Ivan Provorov. I think that would be hilarious, but I don't think Columbus would do it. Uh, why would I don't they? see it. Yeah, I just, it, it doesn't make much sense. Like, why would you swap defensemen? I think they probably like Wierenski more than the Flyers like Provorov right now. I would, mm-hmm. I would, I would think that they do. Um, the Provorov stuff, like, I don't get his uh, his attitude. One, because he is at he is now at this point a veteran leader on this team and needs to just present himself better. Like that's who, he's not young anymore. He's not a young kid. He's not one of the baby boys. He's a fucking veteran leader on this team. And he did not present himself as one. But uh, more so than that, like, okay, he, he said what he said about the media, whatever. Um, what real criticism has he actually, like, this is the first time he's ever been criticized. His rookie year, he looks like not a piece of shit playing next to Andrew McDonald, so we automatically dub him a number one. And from there, it's been the Ivan Provorov show. Like, oh my, this guy... Iron, look how hard he works, all the minutes he plays, uh, you, you just get him a good partner, and look how good he is, uh, look how good he made Shane Gostas bear, remember that? Like, uh, he's never been criticized until now. If he thinks this is tough, imagine what happens when more than 11 people are paying attention to the Flyers. Here's the other thing, he's put together a combined one season. A very good hockey. One. Proje- well, that, his that's, first that's season not true. was projectable. His first Isn't season it? was projectably good. His season next to Ghost was good. And his season next to Niskanen was good. Yeah. So three yeah. of his six. Well, yeah. two of his six. And two of his, two of his six, I would say, were great seasons. And then one was like, well, it was good. And it's, it, you could argue it was great because it was next to Andrew freaking McDonald. Yeah. This season, he was atrociously bad. And if you are going to be a piss baby after having the kind of season that he had, like, that kind of attitude is just so gross to me. Like, fuck off. Like, who do you think you are? It's very much deflecting. Maybe he's just embarrassed. I don't know. Like, So, yeah. He's an asshole. So so I'm going to go into this because I think this is actually a pretty, like, it's a pretty interesting situation. Um. So to to kick it off, number one, I, I Kelly, I'm actually going to disagree with you in that I don't think he was atrocious this season, he was and real I do bad, think Charlie, I do think there is 
I, I think there is truth to the idea that he gets a bit too much criticism given the situations he's been put in, given the fact that he was handed Justin Braun as a partner who basically can't do anything aside from play defense really well. And I like Justin Braun, but like he's limited. He's not a first pair defenseman. Which meant We've Pro- said so many times what Provorov needs. Good puck mover. Yeah. What is and Justin Braun? Is, Braun? The, opposite the opposite of that. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and I think there is an element where like Provorov for about a three, four week stretch in February and March was making a lot of really glaring errors with the puck. But I think on the whole this season, I don't think he was horrible, especially given the situations he was put in, the minutes he gets. So I understand the frustration on his part. That's that's kicking it off. I, I get why he thinks that he gets a little bit too much shit. That's number one. Now let's really get into the weeds of this. The first thing I will say is that this media thing, him blowing, not really blowing up, but just being like snarky and sarcastic and having the big fake smile on his face and making it clear that like he doesn't think the media really knows what they're talking about when it comes to his play. Like that didn't come out of nowhere. This has been bubbling all year. Like mm-hmm. Provorov has confronted multiple people in the media privately to say that he doesn't appreciate what's being said about him. So, like, this wasn't a surprise to anyone who covers the team on a daily basis. He's been stewing about this for a while. And I think part of the problem in that sense, like, I don't really give a shit if a player disagrees with what's written about. That's fine. He has every right to be like, you know what? You guys either didn't play the game or certainly didn't play the game in the NHL. So... I don't really think your criticism is valid. That's fine. A player doesn't have to like the media, and I don't hold it against Ivan Provorov if he doesn't like us in the media. That's fine. Problem number one, though, is it does hint that he's thin-skinned, and Mm -hmm. he's going to need to be better at taking criticism because you can't be a successful NHL player and be actively seeking out every single person that is criticizing you because you just don't have, like, the mental stability to do both. It's going to fuck with your head. Like, he should be doing, truthfully, what a lot of players do, which is just ignore it all. Just don't be on social media. Don't check social media. Like, don't read your stories. Block everyone. Yeah, block everyone. Like, like that. it, it strikes me as a situation where... He's expending too much mental energy worrying about what everyone says about him and not enough on being the best player he can be. So, like, I don't really give a shit that he's shitting on the media. I just think that, like, it shows that he's probably paying a little bit too much attention to criticism and should be a little bit more focused on being the best player he can be. That's number one. Number two, and this is really the the bigger problem, because, again, if Provorov shits on the media— that's fine. Like, whatever. It doesn't really have an impact on, on how he plays or what he does. What does matter, however, is how a player is perceived by his teammates. And mm. I have heard on multiple occasions that Ivan Provorov is not the most popular player in that locker room. And it's in part because of exactly... like it's, it's in part not because of what he says to the media, but because, again, he's thin-skinned and he has trouble dealing with criticism. And Provorov, to his credit, and I don't think this is actually a bad thing, right? Ivan Provorov, from what I understand, is willing to call out other players on the team when they fuck up. And actually, I think that's a good thing because I think this it's team needs a little bit more. Needs a little bit more yeah. of that. They need a little bit, little bit less of everybody being friends, and they need a little bit more of like, hey, get your shit together. The problem yeah. is you can't do that. You can't call people out 
And then when other people call you out, you say yep. they're full of shit. Like yep. here, when, when Ivan Provorov was playing poorly in February and March, and he had that one turnover, I think it was in the Washington game where it basically led to the game winning goal with like three minutes left behind the net. It was an ugly turnover. We talked to him a couple days later and he basically said like, I'm a creative player, you know, and essentially was like, you know, I need to have a bet. Like, I need to have a better understanding of where other people are on the ice. It was very much like a thing of like, you know, like everybody else needs to be in better position. So I don't need to take where was my outlet that the Mm -hmm. problem was. Yeah. And my understanding is those comments were not received well, because look, I've said this before. Hockey players know hockey. This is what they do. This is their livelihood. They know when a guy isn't playing well. And they all knew that Ivan Provorov wasn't playing well. And for Provorov to basically say, like, no, I'm mostly playing fine. And if I'm not playing fine, it's kind of other people's fault. Like, that's not going to play well in a room. And that's much more concerning than someone being snarky with the media. Like, there are players who are regularly snarky with the media, and they're beloved by their teammates. And it doesn't really matter that the media doesn't like them. It's not a big deal. But if it bleeds into the locker room, it is a big deal. And I have heard that there's, it, there, he's not the most loved guy in that room. And that's the real problem here, not the media. The problem is, is that he needs to do a better job on the whole of accepting responsibility and accountability when he doesn't play well. And that's that was my issue. It wasn't that what he said to the media. It's that he was like deflecting, well, you guys are just going to do whatever you're going to do. Like, there's not a doubt in my mind. Ivan Provorov could talk circles around me uh, talking about hockey. Like, he's in the fucking NHL. Yeah, I'm, I'm a podcaster. Way, way more like, about hockey He knows way else. more about hockey. But if your stance is... You guys don't even know what you're talking about. All right, Ivan. Well, that's why we asked you to evaluate yourself. Maybe explain. No. No. You're going to write whatever you're going to write. So no. And that's, that's what a baby does. He seemed like a fucking baby. And it's no accountability, nothing. And that it it just seemed like a a fucking, uh, I can't, I'm not going to use the word. Yeah. A child. Yeah. An asshole. An asshole. So, you know, we had this situation last season with Jake Voracek and Mike Sealski, and that was funny Jake and Voracek's well received by everyone. Yeah, you thing. get away He's with good. more when you're good. Exactly. And Voracek has built, had had built a decade of rapport yeah. with the reporters. And Jake's funny. Ivan Provorov, less, but the fact that he took on all of the media instead of one particular yeah. dude who's been who's been right I mean Sealski wrote a lot of shit about Voracek yeah. in the entire time yeah, that he did. was here like it was justified Ivan Provorov taking on the entire media and and just just not taking accountability is not the way to did do he it seem- like that's not it's not, it's not the way to do now, it. We talked about Ellis, and maybe the most important thing that came out during Ellis's media availability was that he came across as a guy who wants to be here. Did Provorov? Nope. I think Provorov does want to be here. Like, I don't think he's like demanding a trade or anything. But as I said, I look, like I'm not saying that Provorov is definitely going to get traded, but it's definitely more of a possibility now than it's ever been. 
I don't yeah. see how they can get the high-end talent they say they need without trading them, honestly. Yeah. They need to find a, a Who a do they have of needs... value? That's the thing. Like, they need to find a team that needs defense that has an excess of offense, and that's, like, they need to make that kind of hockey trade. Hockey trade! Hockey trade. All right. Um, Everyone drink. Real quick, before we finish up, the um, medical department. Ellison God, Farabee. what a fucking disaster. I thought Ellison this was... Ellison Farabee basically said they yeah. came back from their injuries too soon, got yeah. worse. Uh, we saw it happen. I think it had more to do, uh, the uh, Kevin Hayes situation, more to do with the procedures that were done than the you know medical staff of the Flyers, but still, we saw him go and come a few times. How is this, like, how does it get fixed? It's so a fucking I, disaster because they can't really fire the guy in charge. It's it's tough, but I do think one thing that did, and this was probably this was my question, but I think this was one of the more encouraging things I heard, just because Fletcher didn't try to spin it. He acknowledged there's a problem, and that's a good first step. I straight up asked him, you know, Saturday, Ellison Farabee basically admitted they came back too soon. Do you think there's a problem with guys rushing back from injuries too soon? And if so, is that something that you're going to address this summer? And Fletcher's answer was, yeah, absolutely. Going to sit down with their doctors, strength staff, strength and conditioning coach in the next couple of weeks. But the, the kicker was, we're going to look at our entire structure here in terms of our medical side. And, like, at least they know. They're not going to act like, no, this is just bad luck with injuries. It was just a bad luck injury year. Like, there's something broken. Not, not necessarily in terms of, like, I, I don't doubt that, like, the doctors they have are good. Like, I don't doubt that these guys, like, you know, or these women, whatever, like, that they had, you know, slipped through medical school and just suck at their jobs. But I do if think— If they have they're... lady doctors, that's the beginning of the problem, Charlie. <laughs> wow. Wow. Great way. Great segue after Someone's the first part Someone's going to take that all the way out of context. Yeah, that's going to get clipped into just <laughs> that. Oh, my God. Um, but I— but... Want to punch you right in the face because I'm going to hear about new? that comment. What else is new? It's fair. That, oh, I yeah, you're top right. Ten I always want to punch you right out of face. anyone's mouth on this show. Let's be honest. <laughs> it um, might be top I, ten. I've just been. I've been quiet because I've been scrolling, looking for information on Samuel Moran's um, presser, and it seems like what he's saying is is that he wants to stay in the organization. He, he wants to use his retirement to help other players that have been through some serious injuries stuff like Good. that charlie was talking but anyway he's gonna donate his back i cut charlie off cool, i was cool. completely cut off but it's fine i cut you off <laughs> a few charlie. times earlier so it's it's even um but going back to what i was saying i don't think that like the doctors are bad doctors I don't even like don't think like the the trainers are bad trainers or whatever. Like I think they're good at what they they do. But I I, I gather and not to say this isn't pervasive throughout hockey because it is. But it seems like it's taken even further than it is in most places here in Philly. Just this like this concept of got to play through injury, got to come back as soon as possible, you know, like just be tough, you know, like you know, just play through the pain. And what we saw this year is that not only can it be argued that that is, generally speaking, a toxic mentality on the whole, it's just dumb. Because what's happening mm -hmm. is these guys are coming back too soon, getting hurt, and then being out longer than if they would have just waited and gotten fully healthy. And 
that's an organizational mentality problem. That's an old school organizational mentality problem that needs to be addressed from the top down because this season showed that it can torpedo a year. It can legitimately torpedo a year when guys feel like they have to come back too soon and the trainers and the medical staff don't have the guts to put their to, to draw a line in the sand and put their foot down and say, no, you are not allowed to come back because this is stupid. Add it to the list of old school hockey bullshit that this organization continues to do. Uh, and it's been, I mean, think about the relationship... This is a long-time thing in this organization. Think about the relationship between Bob Clark and Eric Lindros. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, think about maybe what led to some of Mike Richards' issues, uh, playing mm-hmm. the way he did at his size. Think about, and listen, I love Jake and G, but they played through everything for 10 years. Well, that that's maybe what they left on the locker room, and it was taught to them, and... It gets passed on, and that's where we are now with this team. It's an issue. Uh, There's a difference between hurt and injured, and a lot of times you have to play hurt in professional sports. Uh, Just the way it is, your body, it's contact sport. You're going to be in pain. But, like, if something's wrong, if you have a fucking injury, it has to heal. Like, there's... Look at what, like Charlie said, it can torpedo a whole year. It torpedoed, torpedoed two whole seasons for the Flyers. Now, I don't think, like, oh, man, we missed out on cup opportunities these last two years. But, like, they weren't this fucking bad. Yeah. But guys leaving and coming back and never really being healthy. Like, the Flyers didn't have a 2C basically all year because Kevin Hayes left three times. Yeah. Or a, a 1D. Yeah. No 1D all season. Yeah. 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 I mean, Joel Farabee... When Joel Farabee got hurt, I believe in December, I reported, I heard from a source that it was a grade two AC sprain, which normally keeps a guy out four to six weeks. He came back in two and a half, and then a couple weeks later, he suffered the same injury and was out more time. Like, why is he coming back that soon? Why? And like, prior to that injury, prior to that injury, if anyone remembers, it, it seems like 10 years ago, like... Joel Farabee's goal-scoring numbers were in line with the beginning of David Pasternak's career, like, up until that injury, basically. And he mm-hmm. hasn't looked the same since. Like, he just hasn't. I mean... Yeah, it's a problem. I, I, he basically had the same season. It's just he didn't take a step forward, which is a bummer, and he still might. Joel yeah, Farabee no, no. still might. Yeah, I'm not ruling that out. It seemed, it seemed like he was on a higher trajectory. Like, oh, okay, and this is where he takes the step, and then he got hurt. And then it was a lot of, well, he's working himself back in. All right, well, now we're trying him at center. I'm sure that didn't help either. It, it was just like a lot of things. Like, I don't think he's like ruined forever. I just think he was on a certain trajectory, got hurt, and that started a domino effect of like, and then we didn't have the real Joel Farabee for most of the season. Might have. That might, might have. All but right. again, going back to what I was saying about the medical staff, like it, it's... It's encouraging to me to hear Chuck Fletcher openly acknowledge that there is a problem. Now, whether they can actually fix it is another story, but at least they're not living in denial. At least they seem to realize that, like, yes, our approach has been faulty, and yes, it needs to be adjusted. And hopefully they can adjust it. Because this if, year was, this year was from an injury standpoint, and not, I mean, yes, you have to acknowledge there's bad luck, but the yeah. way that this team approached injuries this season it was embarrassing that's the only Mm -hmm. word i can use it was embarrassing it's great to see 
Chuck Fletcher acknowledged there's an issue with something, communication, structure, whatever, on the uh, in, in the medical training staff. Um, perhaps if he acknowledges that with the rest of the front office, things will get better with this team. All right, uh, we good? We got anything else? I feel like we did it. I think that's long enough. Can't we wait to it. watch. I was going to ask when this team was last likable, but I think that we can talk about that next week. They were likable. March, it was just three years ago. I was going to say, yeah. Wasn't yeah, that long, right though. before the feels pandemic. Like a long time that was ago. an extremely likable team. Yeah. It feels like a very long time ago. And that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, you've got to hit that subscribe button. Search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts, and boom, you get this incredibly positive show that will brighten your day, <laughs> as well as all of our other content, fly purbly, all that stuff. Just because it's the off season doesn't mean we're going anywhere. Our shit stays the same. We'll have plenty of podcasts. Why, why are you wagging your finger at me like the Kembe Matumbo stuff? Uh, because we talked about this on post game, but not officially on this show. We will be having a draft party this year, so it's a Thursday, because why the fuck would the NHL not do that to us? Yeah, but works for the market NFL calendars. We'll be having a we'll be having a draft party. All right, awesome draft party. You heard it. I believe the uh, first round is July seventh, so that'll be fun. We'll have a draft party. All right, that's it. Uh, my name is Bill Matz. For Charlie, for Kelly, for Steph. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? What is up, Astros fans? This is Jeff Balke and my partner, former Astro Jeff Blum from the Believe in Astros podcast to tell you baseball is back and we've got your world champion Houston Astros covered. Every week we go inside the clubhouse, break down the games, discuss the players and give you everything you need to know about the Houston Astros baseball organization with special guests and a few surprises all summer and into the postseason. So tune in to the Believe in Astros podcast. That's B-L-E-A-V on Apple spotify youtube and everywhere you get your podcasts go astros